you can hear the Tom Kearney Show every night, Monday through Friday from 9 until 10, a little bit of live and in real-time radio, uh, conducted most of the time, well, really all of the time, by yours truly, Tom Kearney. So here's a chance to talk with Tom and our guest of the night, and our guest of the night is the guy I've been looking forward to. He comes and visits every two or three months, and I think that's good because he is the uh, director of the City of Raleigh Museum and Pope House Museum. His name is Ernest Dollar, spelled just like the piece of money, I think. Is that right, Ernie? That's right. And uh, he is from, uh, are you from Durham? And I know you went to, to Greensboro to, as an undergraduate, and you went to state to get your master's degree. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a Durham native. Uh, you and Tony Rigsby, I, I, I just I don't <laughs> know what to think about. No, Tony was on with us last week to talk about baseball. And, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, I'm proud to know the Durham residents I do. Ernie started uh, coming to visit us probably about 10 years ago, and one of the things that I always remember to do, Ernie, is that uh, my wife took a ollie course. You know what ollie courses are. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, she, and it required the people to go downtown and to go to the History Museum, and I think to the city of Raleigh History Museum, and you gave out some business cards, and she came on and home and said, Tommy, I might want to get this guy. He does a pretty good job at this this museum, and I had had representatives from your museum on, but you know, but when it it is now part of the Raleigh uh, government and park system, uh, but at one time it was independent, and it it, it it had a roller coaster career, if you know what I mean. And so, yeah, yeah. In any event, and and your coming has been a, a good, and this takeover by the city of Raleigh has been a good thing, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that right now, right out in front of everybody. So, but uh, it is a, a museum that, and, and and Ernie, the thing we have to think about is the number of people, uh, I understand that today, I'm doing an aside now, uh, the census figures for are about to come out, you know, we, the census was supposed to be taken in 2020, and and then they released the, re- released the results. Well, one of the things it's going to show is that North Carolina has gained a lot of population and that Raleigh in particular has. And a lot of those folks are from Ohio and Montana and, you know, wherever and don't know what it means to be a Tar Heel or be a, uh, a citizen of the City of Oaks. Might not even know why that, that's about. So uh, your job, I think, is in part to, to uh, make sure that people find out all that stuff. And we're going to talk about some history of Raleigh tonight, but you're doing history of Raleigh all the time. And before we talk about, we, I don't know if you've ever read the book, Ernie, uh, but a man named Jay Winnick wrote a book, uh, came out about 10 or 12 years ago, called April 1865. It was just about that month. And it was, oh, yeah, yeah. According to him, the month that made saved America, made America. So we're going to sort of join that crowd for a while tonight, I think. Uh but before we do that, before we get uh, William Tecumseh Sherman coming into North Carolina way back in 1865, we ought to talk about what's happening at the City of Raleigh Museum and what kind of exhibits are on. So I'm handing you the ball here, and you've got to run for the goal line. Well, I certainly appreciate you uh, uh, recognizing us. It's always fun to be on your show. And let people know that uh, we're there as a resource to learn about the capital city of North Carolina. Um so, yeah, we've got a couple exhibits going on now. Uh, one that we, we like to do a lot of community exhibits. So we are celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Raleigh Kiwanis Club. We don't think that has a major blockbuster exhibit, but a 
a critical, important part of the community we serve. So uh, folks can come by and help them celebrate all the good deeds they've done for a century in Raleigh. And then a yeah, couple of ones you might remember. I was going to say there was a big movement back uh, probably about the time the Kiwanis Club was formed, but civic clubs uh, of one kind or another. That was a, a, that was a, became a big deal right after, I think, the turn of the, the, the 20th century, you know, say, you know, 1910 or something like that. You not only got the Kiwanis, but you got the, the, uh, the Lions Club and, and other things like that. Oh, everybody had their Lions Club, the Kiwanis, the Civitans, you know, a very much a, a movement in early 20th century America. Um, we, you know, we've got a most popular exhibit on Dwayne Powell. Uh, he's a political cartoonist, been in and over 30 years. Um, always a, a fun ride to go down and watch some of his cartoons. Uh, and we have an exhibit on Dorothea Dix. We've been doing a lot of work in Dorothea Dix, and that may find its way into our story this evening, but... Um, it's an incredible new part for Raleigh, and to try to get all of that history behind it has been an incredibly interesting journey. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that because I I know uh, a little bit of the story of Dorothea Dix, and she was a, an outstanding woman and uh, came to North Carolina way back uh, in the 1840s, I think, to, as a part of her national campaign starting out in Massachusetts to make the lot of people who were mentally disturbed or unwell better, and, uh, and uh, the result was the founding of the hospital uh, known, what was known in North Carolina for a long time as Diggs Hill, and it is now mm-hmm. uh, uh, part of a Raleigh City Park system, and uh, the, the land has been, and I'm glad you kept her name. I, I hope it will always yeah. be there to memorialize her, although the purpose of the land is different. She uh, is regarded as and one it. of the founders of that, that movement. And to bring her into our story this evening, I think she became a nurse during the Civil War and helped nurse a lot of wounded and sick Union soldiers up north. I didn't know that, but we were recently the director, Barry Porter, of the Red Cross in the eastern part of North Carolina was on. And we, we when he comes, he likes history, too. And we usually end up talking about some of the background of the Red Cross International and National. You know, it was founded in Europe uh, about 1860, but we ended up talking a little bit about a woman named Clara Barton, who was like um, mm-hmm. like Dorothy Dixon nurse during the hospital, and the woman who founded the American version of the Red Cross. Yeah, we did an exhibit on Wake County's Red Cross with Barry 2016 for their 100th anniversary. So, right. you know, it's uh, part of what we do is to sort of hold up a mirror to all those parts of Raleigh society and say, hey, let's celebrate these organizations and these people and these places that have made us Raleigh, what it is today? Um, I always, I should never throw you curveballs, but we don't do a lot of rehearsing. And <laughs> you know, if, it, if it's a curveball and you don't want to swing at it, don't swing at it. You know, but um, combining what we're going to talk about tonight and what we are indeed talking about now about holding a mirror up uh, of Raleigh, uh, have you ever done anything uh, on? I, I just don't know on the Oberlin community because it's a, it's a community that. Is slowly but surely frittering away because of development. I don't think it will it will ever disappear completely, but it has a really great history uh, uh, as part of Raleigh and what happened to the slaves in Raleigh after the, uh, the end of the Civil War. Yeah, um, there's a Oberlin is such a, getting such a, a lot of overdue attention lately, and it's an incredible story. And 
Um, you know, he actually started as a as a pre-Civil War community of, of free free African Americans. And so once again, bringing it back to the Civil War, once that's over, a lot of these emancipated folks rush to Raleigh. It becomes one of the very early one of the thirteen African American communities that pop up around the city. Right, it was, uh, and it, and and the thing that it came up in in my studies in my academic career because it was one of those places when you start discussing the concept of segregation, you know, which was a big, big question for a long time. It was a place where the the African-Americans voluntarily segregated themselves from, from the white people who had held them in bondage for a long time and just wanted to go away and have their own place, so to speak. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a deep and rich history that, you know, it's, it's sad that we're trying to uncover it when most of it is starting to, to disappear. Right, exactly. But, uh, of course, it comes, runs... Uh, Across from Glenwood uh, Glenwood Avenue to uh, to Hillsborough Street, as a matter of fact, and passes by what uh, has historically been called Cameron Village, and and uh, one of the things that, that apparently there has been or will be a decision to change uh, the, the name of the village. But uh, we, as historians, I don't think we can leave Cameron out. It's just the story doesn't make make any sense. Uh, Maybe mm-hmm. it isn't a question of veneration, but it, at least it uh, it has to be explained. You know how how this got to be the way that it is. But anyway, uh, Raleigh has a rich history, and and uh, it's not talked about enough. Uh, I was uh, I was trying to think of the lady's name who wrote the history of Wake County and Raleigh. Uh, oh, Elizabeth Reed Murray. Elizabeth Reed Murray. The other day, I've got a copy of it here somewhere, but I've got too many books in my house. And, Sometimes it's difficult, but uh, you have to do a lot of reading in, in, in Elizabeth's books. But she, they're encyclopedic is what I guess I'm trying to say, but she, she did a good job on that. To our listeners, as we approach 917, uh, we are talking with Ernie Dollar, the director of the uh, uh, City Museum of Raleigh, History, History Museum of Raleigh, and the Pope House Museum, and we will find out before the program is over tonight. This is kind of a radio tease what the Pope House is, because chances are you haven't heard of it. And at some point, Ernie, as he always does, gets to talk about where the City of Raleigh Museum is, because it's convenient to people who are going to go downtown and visit the Capitol as a historical place and the, the other museums of the state. Well, it's very close by, and it is also a little piece of history in itself. But we'll save that, because I think one of the things that he and I want to do is to talk about what went on in the late part of April 1865. Uh, Raleigh was had a historical month there, as a good bit of America did. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to see where Mr. Dollar wants to begin the story. And we'll begin <laughs> there, and we'll end up uh, in, uh, in, in Durham and uh, on the way to the end of the Civil War. That'll be when we come back right after this. Ernest Dollar, the director of the City of Raleigh Museum and Pope House Museum. And one of the things that they do is, I think, sort of focus on the history of of the capital city of North Carolina. And uh, in the late part of April, 1865, uh, the capital city of North Carolina was under a little bit of pressure from the from General William Sherman and his army, who had already done in Atlanta, Georgia, which, by the way, at that point was not the capital, but it was the biggest city in Georgia, 
and uh, and uh, Columbia, South Carolina, had been burned to the ground. Ernie, I'm going to I'm going to be unfair to you here, but uh, what was the capital of Georgia? Do you know? Milledgeville, wasn't it? Milledgeville, very good, very good. That's that was a when I was in graduate school, the professor asked us to draw a map and put in all the capital cities. You know, like on a big poster board. And everybody in the mm-hmm. class put in Atlanta, without just without thinking, because it is now. But Milledgeville was until I think the Civil War, maybe sometime after that. So you get a gold star. Oh, gold star! <laughs> yeah. Where do we start with Sherman coming to Raleigh? Well, you know, uh, I've I've spent most all of my entire historical career researching these last days of the Civil War in North Carolina, and you really can't think about Raleigh at the end of the war with just knowing how close it came to being burned down like Atlanta, you know, Columbia, the capital of South Carolina suffered too. So Raleigh is extremely lucky and balanced on the head of a pin between heaven and hell in the last weeks of the Civil War. Um, and, you know, it, it took a lot of things to come together to avoid that. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that um, in, the, in the last days of the war, the Union Army moves closer to Raleigh, um, it's really unsure of what's going to happen. Um, you know, uh, they learn of Appomattox Courthouse in the surrender of Virginia, so the Union Army knows, knows that the last thing that stands between them and peace is the destruction of the Confederates. So as they get close to Raleigh, they um, occupy the city and... Um, they receive news there of Lincoln's assassination, which really sends them over the edge. These men, who are largely veterans of the war, fought all the way through North Georgia, Shiloh, and all the campaigns of the West, really took it to heart that they believed that Father Abraham was this guiding figure that led them through the war. And with that news, they were ready to tear it all up. And uh, there's, a, there's a great story of the night that when they heard of this, that they began, there's a mob that forms, begins to march on the city to burn it down. And it's only through the, the daring of one Union general named John Blackjack Logan who rides out and confronts this mob of these angry men who were going to head to burn out that rebel hole of a city that was Raleigh. So he basically threatens to, to turn his own artillery on these men unless they go back to camp. And so fortunately, they, they, they'd seen the power of this weapon on the battlefield and said well this is a horrible way to die we'll just go back and so he's credited with saving raleigh and his, he ends up in the raleigh hall of fame for it many years later well let so, me show off a little bit uh, you, you know i think john logan is the man who's generally given responsibility for the idea of what we call memorial day you are correct yeah and and he had something to do with taps too i don't i don't remember exactly the the you know the bugle piece that's played uh, at the end of the day and so on. But, but I do know that he, well, I think, was given the idea of, of to memorialize the the uh, the uh, troops who were killed during the war and to have a special day to recognize them and so on. So good. Yeah. So he had seen a fair share of combat in his day. So he, he knew the power of what his men can do and, and just a, you know what, what a Civil War battlefield looked like. So, yeah, he was very moved to start Memorial Day. So, as everybody's grilling hot dogs and drinking beer, uh, raise the glass to old John Logan. John Logan, I'm, I'm for that. Well, you know, something, uh, uh, too, that, that uh, is, as you were, you correctly played up the fact that they didn't know what was going to happen. And the governor of North Carolina then, I think, was Zebulon Vance. 
There are mm-hmm. enough places named after him, so we ought to remember that. But I think he, I think he got out of town, so to speak. He, as the expression they use is "get out of dodge," and I think he, mm-hmm. he the several of the political leaders went away. And I think the town was sort of left in the hands of the officials of the city of Raleigh rather than the state. I'm yeah. not sure about that, but. Uh, well, you know, have... Vance, to, to his credit, got himself in a lot of trouble with the Confederate authorities because he sent two former governors, David Swain and William Graham, on a secret mission to basically beg for safety of the Capitol and safety of the university in, in Chapel Hill. And these were, these were two governors who had spent their entire lives pulling North Carolina up into making it a modern state. So they didn't want to see it all destroyed, so they risked their lives to kind of for drive out in the middle of a skirmish out on Swift Creek below Raleigh in a train to kind of beg for peace. Apparently they're begging work because the, the city was uh, taken over by the Federals, but uh, I think only I think I've heard that only one person got killed and it didn't get burned down. So. It was close. That was the first time it almost got torched. Um, you know, the, the Swain and Graham said, oh, no, the city will be uncovered. You won't beat any resistance. Just come on in. And so as they come in, these, these Confederate uh, cavalrymen who are sort of stragglers from the army are breaking into a jewelry store up on Fayetteville Street. And then they jump up when they see the Federals come up Fayetteville Street, except for one who sits in the saddle and waits for them to get closer. He pulls out his pistol and yells, hurrah for the Southern Confederacy, but empties his pistol and takes off. But he's captured and brought back. And everybody thought, oh, no, they're going to burn the town because of this stupid cavalryman. But they just took him out and hung him where the governor's mansion is and called it a day. Kept on with it, so. I'm going to remember that. They hung him where the governor's mansion is and called it a day. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's almost quotable. But that, that is, that, you know, the, the closest that things came. Now, I did want to go back for a minute. Uh, we've got about a minute before we take a break for the news because uh, Sherman's army had marched into North Carolina and had gone roughly through Fayetteville and uh, Aversboro, which is over near uh, near Dunn in Johnston County, and had come up to Smithfield and then up the old, what is called the old Smithfield Road, and uh, along the way, uh, well, they, they went to Goldsboro first, and that, that's the, the important thing that I wanted to, since it's my hometown, I have to get a mention in for it. But uh, Sherman left his army there for about 10 days or two weeks while he went to Washington and had a conference with Lincoln and Grant, and they were basically saying, go soft on them, you know, like Grant did on Lee at, at Appomattox. But before he got back to uh, to, to North Carolina, uh, Lincoln had been assassinated, and that had irritated a lot of people. We're talking with Ernie Dollar, historian, about uh, the month of April in 1865, and we'll be back in a moment. Or on WCCF in Raleigh, AM 680 and FM 98.5. Two buttons on your car radio so you can make sure to get WPTF. It's at this point in the broadcast of Talk with Tom that we stop for just a second and promo what's coming up. Tomorrow night, Dr. Ed Funkhauser, Professor Emeritus of Communications at NC State University, who is the keeper of the role on what we call our necrology, which is a list of those who have died but who are deserving of remembrance and so on. And Ed's been doing that for us for about 15 years now, and he will be here with us tomorrow night to talk about those who have slipped away, perhaps while you weren't looking, and you'll say, oh, well, I didn't know he had died. Well, listen, tomorrow night, Ed will be on with us between 9 and 10. Wednesday night, uh, 
the President of the United States, uh, Mr. Biden, is going to make a speech to the Joint Houses of Congress. It is not the State of the Union address, but it's rather like that. And uh, I, I think there will actually be a response to it. I'm not sure about that. But it will be at, at 9 o'clock, so we will be preempted and we will not be here. But Thursday night we will come back with uh, uh, Remembrance Time. Uh, and uh, Friday night will be... Uh, Friday Night Trivia Time. Tonight we're talking about what was going on in Raleigh, North Carolina, 156 years ago today and tomorrow, and indeed the last week of and the last part of the of April 1865. And our our, our brother in historical research, uh, Mr. Ernie Dollar, is uh, is taking us on a on a trip, having us understand what happened in in that time. Ernie, are you still there? I sure am. What was happening on, uh, I, I, this is where it becomes fun, and I'm trying to think of the guy. There was a guy, you'll know his name, he's an historian uh, of North Carolina, and he wrote a book about Bentonville, the Battle of Bentonville, and then he wrote a book about the surrender at the, the Bennett Place in Durham, and I cannot think of his name right now. But uh, Mark Bradley. Mark Bradley, yes. Mark Bradley appeared on my program like 1996 or something, and he was just getting started, and He's a, he had written the Battle of Bentonville book on his own. He, was, he didn't have an academic connection or anything. He just It was a labor of love, and he really did a good job on it. It's still the one you want to look at. But I, I think you probably know a fair amount about what happened to the two armies, because I think what we've got now when we went away is we had Sherman and his army in Raleigh, and we had Joseph Johnson and the Confederate Army, which had been facing them, but but backing away was over near Greensboro, and it was time now apparently to to settle it. And the largest army in the field, uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to need to have a spoiler alert here. There are going to be ninety thousand troops in the army surrendered, uh, and Ernie's going to tell you about the surrender. But uh, it's the largest army much larger than the troops that, that Lee had when he surrendered in Virginia. Yeah, uh, there's, 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 a, there's a sneaky caveat to that, though. That okay. When you, John, you, Johnson, this is why you're here. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, it is the largest surrender of the American Civil War right in our backyard here in the Triangle at the State Historic Site at Bennett Place. But when, when Johnston inks, inks his surrender, you know, this, they, they met two other times and thought they had ended it all, but the terms were rejected. Um, Washington saw what Sherman had promised, and they got ill, called Sherman the traitor, that he had given away all they had fought for. So they had to meet one more time. That was today's anniversary, April 26th, and it was basically Sherman gave Johnston the same terms that he, Grant had given Lee at Appomattox, and just to surrender the army. But Johnston only had about 36, 34, 32,000 with him scattered all around the Piedmont. But when he inked that surrender terms, he controlled all the soldiers in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. So that's why he gets this grand number of 89,000 soldiers surrendered. It was just about most of just about most of the troops. I know it wasn't all because I know there's at least one army in Texas that isn't going to surrender until sometime in June, I think, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Kirby Smith, is that his name? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, there's, uh, there's a couple more surrenders, surrenders after Bennett Place. Okay, but but he, but Johnson had, like you said, control of. I think it was called the Army of Tennessee at this point. For, 
yeah. although it, it hadn't been in Tennessee much of the time. But but Johnson was technically the commander of all the the troops in the places that you you named, and he and and. I know. I remember there was a lot of confusion. They had to meet two or three times. I think you said three yeah. times they had to meet uh, at the Bennett place. And there's a state historical yeah. site there, so if our listeners wanted to go visit it, they could do that, couldn't they? Yeah, it's it's a it's a cool little site. Um, you know, I, my first job out of college was working at Bennett Place, and I've been associated with the site for you know since then. And it's you know they got a reconstructed home where the generals met. You can have a small museum there, and it's just one of these hidden corners of American history that you really don't think about have this major surrender here in the triangle that you know, the Appomattox and Virginia gets all sort of the, the limelight. But the surrender of Benning Place is pretty interesting because it's a, like you mentioned earlier, it's, it's a post-Lincoln world. What would the North do just as the South begs for, for forgiveness and for quarter? So it really had the potential to be extremely ugly at the very last closing days. But I think both Sherman and Johnston knew that the, the country and their armies and their men had suffered enough that they just wanted to end it and get the nation united. It hadn't occurred to me until just while you were talking, and it may be out of bounds for this discussion, but I'm going to run this up the flagpole and see what you say about it. <laughs> had, where was Jefferson Davis at this point? Had he been captured? Oh, no, he was hightailing at uh, Head West. That uh, Johnston had been meeting with him in Greensboro and actually came up with, got permission to approach Sherman about an armistice. And so Jefferson Davis keeps on, goes to Charlotte, and goes down to South Carolina, down into Georgia, until he's captured in early May of 65. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've never, never had a firm grasp on the the chronology. I know that he before he started this, you know, leaving Richmond and going to Danville, and so on. I'm talking about Jefferson Davis. He he hmm. was talking about doing a guerrilla campaign, and John mm-hmm. D. Breckinridge, who was the vice president, I believe, of the Confederacy, and who had a military, you know, education and had been around, so to speak, said, "No, no, you're not going to do that. You know, he said, just go and get your mess out of here." Mm-hmm. And uh, but it. it there's more to the story, and that's one of the kind of interesting periods. And uh, let's let's give everybody a a, a plus, uh, Ernie, because if you go over to Durham and go to the Bennett Place, that's the story of what's taking place in 1865. And somewhere near there is the Duke Homestead, which is another mm-hmm. historic site, which has a lot of the future bound up in it. If you know what I mean, it's the, the home of the people who started the the American Tobacco Company. And you know, you know why that got so big in Durham, don't you? Quiz time. <laughs> it's uh, well, supposedly all all the, uh, the the soldiers, both north and south, got into all these tobacco barns around Durham and just got totally enamored by the bright leaf there. So they would write back to Durham after the war, trying to procure some of this bright leaf tobacco. And right. that's what kind of gave the Dukes the push to to make their empire. Right. They had would get little little. Uh, bags of it with drawstrings and of course it was all the cigarettes you got then were you would they'd smoke it in pipes or most of the little bright leaf was smoked in cigarettes but you had to roll your own they, they didn't have a mm-hmm. um, uh, cigarette making machine until about 1880 but once they got that they really went to town but uh, mm-hmm. uh, but you know it, it, it and I guess if you hadn't had all those federal troops around there they wouldn't have been going into those tobacco warehouses and 
and Wash Duke would have found, see, I know, I know what you have to call him. His name was George Washington Duke, but they always called him Wash. He was the old man, and he, he was out fighting somewhere, and when he got back home, his barns had been raided, but if, if they hadn't had all those men there, you know, with the surrender and everything, they, the tobacco might have still been in the in the barns and being cured or whatever. Yeah, the, the Civil War played such a, a foundational impact on the Triangle, more so than we, we really give it credit for. So, you know, the, the end of this, this horrible chapter had so much impact on, on even us today. Well, let's talk for a moment about uh, something that I've turned up today that I had almost forgotten about, and that is on the day after the surrender, which was April 26th, the very day we have now, it's 156 years ago, to to uh, anoint it, to, to play it up, the federal troops who were stationed, some of them in the capital and up on top of it, uh, because it was a place that you could fire off signal rockets, and, and to, to they, of course, didn't have walkie-talkies and things and cell phones and stuff like that those days, but the, the way they communicated with each other, and he he spent most of the 27th, I think, uh, uh, of uh, April firing off signal rockets, and according to what I read, the, you could find them in a way that they would convey a specific message, and the message was peace on earth, goodwill to men, or something like that, but mm-hmm. uh, in any event, this, but these were the people that also rummaged through the uh, papers, a lot of the Papers that belonged to the state of North Carolina were actually stored in the Capitol, and these guys sort of kind of rummaged through them. And uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is, uh, I think it, uh, you would know this. They just recovered it about ten years ago. I think there was a copy of the Bill of Rights that had been written out in James Madison's hand or something, and the state of North Carolina had it. But one of the federal troops took it away and sold it to an antique dealer in Pennsylvania, and it. It belonged to North Carolina, but it wasn't here until about 10 years ago when they, an FBI sting got it back. Yeah. So, <laughs> there's a story for you. <laughs> that is an amazing story that the FBI had to have a sting operation to get back North Carolina's Bill of Rights taken by federal soldiers. It just, yeah, well, I think that, you know, they thought this might be something, but there were a lot of, you know, the, the standard papers, you know, the, the logs and the rules that they kept of who attended and the, the you know, description of what was what was dealt with and so on were stored there, and the, and the, the federal troops perhaps to get back at the the rebs you know, just kind of made made a mess out of the capital before they left. But of course they constrained it up and they got most of the stuff back. But this was just within the last ten years. If you hadn't heard mm-hmm. that story before, I'll tell you the rest of the story sometime. And there's a place you can look. That that might be a good thing to to do a program on sometime. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the, the Bill of Rights, I think, is what it, what it had to do with. But the anyway, other thing that's, that's interesting is the amount of graffiti these soldiers left. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> this is a, you know, typical soldiers getting bored because they were here during the, the couple of weeks during the negotiations for the surrender. And, you know, they're, they're just scrawling their names upstairs on, like you mentioned, the top of the Capitol. They're you know, writing in church books. And perhaps my favorite is right in front of Central Prison, one fellow named Wilson Dixon, first Missouri engineer, sat there and just carved his name in the rock that's still today outside in front of the prison. But uh, the, the, the officials there don't like you to go see it because I was there, and it took me about 30 seconds before I got ran off. So it's a cool rock. It's a cool rock. Yeah, well, maybe you can establish, have get official approval and all that stuff and have one, one day walking tour once a year we go to the rock, you know, so to speak. 
whatever. But but one of the, the nice things for people coming to Raleigh and living in Raleigh is that a lot of the things, like Central Prison and Dix Hill before they disassembled it uh, and so on, uh, are the Capitol is, was finished in 1840, are, are the same buildings that were here. The building that... that uh, that your museum is in dates back to about 1865, and we just use the T's, Ernie, on, on our radio audience, because you get to talk about, what is it, 224 uh, Fayetteville Street or something like that? 220. You get to talk about that when we come back. We'll remind you we're going to talk about the necrology tomorrow night with Dr. Funkhauser, tonight we're talking about uh, the the Civil War and the end of the Civil War in the month of April uh, 1865. 156 years ago today was the day that the peace was signed between William Sherman and Joseph Johnson, the leaders respectively of the Federal and the Confederate armies, at the the Bennett Place near near Durham. But uh, Raleigh was involved in this. uh, in fact, Ernie, I think the truth is at that moment the city of Durham didn't actually exist. It was called Durham Station for a while, and I think finally they decided to incorporate the town. But I believe in 1865 there was not even a, it, you know, there was a there was a few people there. I mean, you're a Durhamite; you may know better than I do on that. Yeah, it was it was just Durham Station. It was just a stop on the North Carolina Railroad, and not much to it. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. They, that was it was it was occupied by uh, Union Cavalry and Chapel Hill was also occupied. So this is sort of between Chapel Hill and Durham, the Federal Army had, and up in Hillsboro is where the Confederates had. So everything in between was sort of the DMZ for 1865. Right. Well, now I'm waggled in front of our audience that you would talk for a moment about uh, the. Uh, former home of Briggs Hardware, where your museum is located as a historical mm-hmm. artifact in itself. And perhaps while you're doing this, you can line out the, uh, the hours and so on and places that, that when people can come visit you and uh, whatever, you know, in terms of yeah, taking advantage of it. We, okay. we, we love to have people come to the museum to, to learn about Raleigh's history and its culture, but uh, to come and see the Briggs Hardware building itself is, is a treat, treat not to be missed. Um, it was, it, you know, Briggs started his hardware business in 1865, just as Federal Army left and helped rebuild most of Raleigh. So people say, if you know, you can trace all those Oakwood homes, you can always trace it back to Briggs Hardware, already nail, board, and screw they used. And so it's beautiful. It was built 1874, and it was just, you know, considered Raleigh's one of his first skyscrapers when it was built. And beautiful, tall, pressed tin ceiling. So, yeah, it's, it's well worth the visit. And uh, we're open from Tuesday through Saturday from 9 to 4, and Sundays from 1 to 4 p.m., and admission is free. Yeah, I'm glad you're open on Sunday because uh, so many times that's one of the times that, uh, say, a father and mother can get their, you know, they're not having to work and can take their kiddies out and maybe do a little picnic on the grounds or something. Uh, I guess you can picnic on the grounds of the Capitol. I don't know. I used to buy a hamburger and go and sit on one of the benches up there, mm-hmm. so I, maybe you can do that. But uh, you're real close to the state capitol and on uh, Fayetteville Street and uh, uh, also to the Museum of History for the state and the Science Museum. And so, and, and the 
parking is pretty good on weekends, and most of the things you go to see are priced right. That is, they don't cost anything. So you That's exactly right. You know, it's, it's, it's a great day to take the family out and just, you know, revel in history and science and take advantage of all that downtown has to offer. Well, we've got about a minute left. Is there anything that I have left out that you wanted to talk about uh, tonight and that I have not permitted you to talk about or anything? No, I think we've, we've covered all the good stuff for, for the end of the war. Um, we have to figure out what our next topics will be next time we meet. Well, uh, how about this, real quickly. When is the Pope House Museum open? Do, do they have oh. formal hours? Pope House, we have extended hours, uh, 9 to 4 on Saturdays and 1 to 4 on Sundays. And this is a, the home of a... Uh, African American citizen of Raleigh, who was a physician, and didn't he run for mayor or something at one time? Is that sure did in 1919, and okay. uh, actually was a, a veteran of another war we could talk about, the Spanish American War. That everybody forgets. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ernie, for spending some time with us tonight. I'm going to say goodbye to you here, but I'm going to call you back in a minute. We'll have a it little seance good. about our program. Okay. <laughs> we appreciate it. Thanks again, Tom, for having me on. Thanks, Ernie Dollar. Director of the City of Raleigh Museum on the Tom Kearney Show for this Monday night.